Peace to the family. Peace to the family. Shalom. Assalamu alaikum. Hotep. And what's up? What's up? What's up, family? How y'all doing out there? Welcome into Culture Freedom Radio Network and give y'all all of those wonderful salutations out there because we truly do want to send peace to you and come to you and peace right here today on the May the 19th, man, of 2021. Hey, got something lined up here right here for you today. Want to come in the house and do something for you, play something for you today here. Hey, man, today would have been Brother Malcolm's ex uh, birthday on today, May the 19th. Oh, most definitely, man. One of our great brothers, man, fighting for the freedom of our people in America, standing for our people to try to get uh, freedom, justice and equality here in America, man. So it would have been the brother's birthday today. I don't want to say happy birthday because, you know, you can't. Some people say, man, you can't say happy birthday to the dead because of people who passed on, which, you know, I understand that. But um, it would have been. That's why I say it would have been this um birthday on today so i just want to play some man in the spirit of brother malcolm today um i think his grandson was on a radio station a little bit earlier probably still is on there um doing an interview and just talking about some things today so i just want to play a one of the historical speeches this is just a mix of a lot of his speeches today uh and light up and contribute contributing to brother malcolm x man um some wonderful works and the things that he did and uplifting our people man and you know and uh, motivating him in a lot of ways that he did so i want to say peace to um all of the brothers and sisters who was inspired by brother malcolm such as myself and i want to touch on some things right fast yeah and i just want to touch on something before i get into this clip here for today you know brother malcolm brother malcolm wonderful brother but don't you know there's still a lot of people who have a disdain or a dislike for Brother Malcolm, even to this very day. Now, there are statements that said that Brother, um, he portrayed Donald Elijah Muhammad. He's a traitor, Benedict Donald. And that, a lot of that come from um, them regurgitating a lot of the stuff that they heard that was came from ministers back in the nation of Islam back in those days. They heard him say that probably Minister Farrakhan said it back in the days and calling them Benedict Arnold and all of this type of stuff. But y'all do have to understand that. See what went on really went on in there. Y'all got to do the historical research on it. Your damn self. Y'all heard me play some clips on this thing on culture freedom radio. We don't been in this several times. We had several conversations on it. And all of this type of stuff. Now, one thing about it, they will say a lot of them cats at that time, when ministers would say he was a Benedict Arnold and a lot of stuff, because hell, one thing he was um, going to expose a lot of those ministers. And there was a lot of ministers in there who were robbing the people blind, pimping out the, pe- uh, the people like we say a lot of these Christian preachers are doing in the church today. Hell, and just not in the church, but, you know, I'm just using the church analogy because some people always say the church. But they were doing that to a lot of people at that time because, hell, even Anam Elijah Muhammad's son, Warren Dean Muhammad, when he took over the Nation of Islam at the ni- in 1975 when Anam Elijah Muhammad uh, passed on, remember, he he got rid of, he took that. He said, uh, y'all had to watch this documentary on that. I'm going to have to try to find it again one day. Uh, well, Wallace 
Hosni Muhammad had an interview and he was talking about how all these these ministers in the nation was riding around in all the Cadillacs and had all the big rings on their finger and stuff, looking like goddamn uh 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 what's the dude name um Reverend Ike and stuff like that. You know, just pimping the people, man. And Mother Malcolm seen a lot of the stuff that was bullshitty that was going on inside of the nation. Why they talk about freedom, just and equality, and raising of the black people, but they were robbing the people, they were pimping out the people, you know, exploiting the people. That's what I need to say, exploiting the people, man. So he saw that. So, and he saw some things that even Honorable Elijah Muhammad was talking about. The white man was the devil, but he was doing backdoor deals with so-called devils like H.L. Hunt, the billionaire, Texas billionaire, and things of that nature. Who even had? Well, I ain't gonna go into that. Uh, he was talking about the thing with Kennedy. And y'all even had to understand the whole thing with Kennedy, what happened and why he, he even told Malcolm, don't say nothing. There's a lot of stuff that we can get into about that. So you have to really understand the historical context about what happened when you start calling somebody Benedict Arnolds and, 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 and slandering somebody and you don't really know. The bullshitty. Now, was Brother Sunray there? No, I wasn't. But I went off and I listened to the, the research. I listened to even what Malcolm said. And I listened to pioneers who were there themselves inside the nation of Islam and, and just so many other things. But you don't need to say that the man. So it, here's the thing about it. So do y'all want it? So if 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 you like, and I know this what it is. So some people y'all like probably like Donald Elijah Muhammad. I have nothing against Donald Elijah Muhammad because I listen to some teachings I like still from Donald Elijah Muhammad. But the thing here is, I like truth more than I I, I look at that person and follow any got every damn thing that a person would say. I like truth more than anything, and I like honesty and I like righteousness more than anybody. I'm not into just that person, the personality worship. I'm not a personality worshiper. I don't give a goddamn who it is. I don't give a damn who it may be you know what i mean truth is truth because hell men have fallacies men will fail you they truly will people will fail you so a lot of those teachers man they might have taught some stuff that was good but again in their personal lives some things wasn't always um as it should be it wasn't always righteous. They might taught righteousness, but a lot of things in their personal life was not always righteousness. So a lot of people, when you have a student and you're telling them about all this righteous, you got to do this, you got to do that, putting down the ground rules. And then when they see the so-called leader themselves, not living up to the standard, which, which they are telling the people they got to live up to. Hey, man. Hey, what do you expect? Now, especially when you have a true true brother or sister who's trying to live righteousness and seeing it. They supposed to just sit back and be quiet. That like a lot of y'all would do y'all will sit back and be quiet and won't say a won't say a mumbling word and just let stuff go on. Malcolm was not one of those brothers and sisters. And here's something y'all really have to understand where he betrayed his teacher. Listen here, man, that's something else. Again, that y'all don't know about brother Malcolm. Malcolm was in the freedom struggle before the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Y'all giving Honorable Elijah Muhammad all the goddamn credit for, uh, uh, for, for, you know, so-called raising Malcolm. You're not giving his father, was his name, Brother Earl Little, made a peace and blessing be upon his soul. His father was the one at a young age reared Malcolm, reared Malcolm, taught Malcolm the true Black nationalist teaching that he gave Malcolm. Y'all even listen to the teachings of Brother Malcolm and compare it with the teachings of 
Honorable Elijah Muhammad, listen to their speeches and their teaching. Totally opposite. But he's the teacher of Malcolm. Totally different. Not trying to disrespect Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but it's totally goddamn different. And I say it. The nation, and they had this on PBS before. The nation before Malcolm. Malcolm grew the damn nation. Y'all can say, well, y'all, you know, you can dis, you can dislike what I'm about to say all you want to. But if it wasn't for Malcolm, the nation of Islam wouldn't have rose, rose to the ranks that it did if it wasn't for Malcolm. Huh? You can, you can dislike it. I don't, I, you know, frankly, I don't give a damn. You can dislike what I say. Frankly, I don't give a damn. Everybody know it. The numbers, look at the numbers of membership that the nation of Islam had before Malcolm X came in. Listen to the speech. That's why Malcolm is so loved because he touched the heart of the people he touched. Donald Elijah Muhammad just, just, just talked about certain things, but it wouldn't reach. It didn't reach the masses like Malcolm was doing. Malcolm said some things, historical things. Malcolm was just talking about a lot of things that people resonated. Malcolm drew the crowd, as Eric B. and Rakim said, moved the crowd. Malcolm was the one who moved the crowd. He made the people come out and join the nation of Islam. That's why, that's why, y'all, that the nation feared, those ministers feared, and maybe the Honorable Elijah Muhammad feared. Under Honorable Elijah Muhammad's son, Warren, Warren Dean Muhammad, you may, may the peace and blessings be upon his soul, because he's passed. He even said it. What well, is this true or not? But it, that's, hey, his, Elijah Muhammad's son said that his father feared Malcolm. He feared Malcolm, not in the sense that he was scared of Malcolm, but he feared But Malcolm would probably would do to expose them. And he feared that Malcolm, if Malcolm started, the people would leave and go follow Malcolm because hell, that's why they came into the goddamn nation because of Malcolm. Because of Malcolm. So that's what they feared. That's what they feared. Leaving, losing the members and they go and follow Malcolm. Huh? That's what they was. That's what they were scared of. That's what they, they were scared of. That's why they had to get rid of the brother. And it wasn't like I'm gonna say just the nation got rid of him. We know the goddamn government was instrumental in it. Like they got rid of our good brother, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Hmm. But all of this bullshit that y'all still have hatred for a brother who's passed on, he's gone. Still want to say that the brother portrayed his teacher. <laughs> Betrayed the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. No, he didn't betray him. Well, I would say he didn't betray truth. He didn't betray the black community, which he stood for. If he had to betray the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, hmm, fine. Fine. But he stood for truth. He stood for the black people who he was trying to raise up. He stood for them. So if he, if y'all say he betrayed the honor of Elijah Muhammad for truth, fine. So be it. He did then. But I would rather for a man to portray his goddamn teacher. If his teacher goes off the goddamn track and he's not living up to the standard and the teaching that he's bringing to the goddamn community and saying, this is what we got to do. This is how we supposed to live righteous like this. But he ain't living up to that standard. He's trying to, play uh put out to everybody else i would rather for that student teacher to portray his damn teachers and 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 stand with truth 
instead of that goddamn teacher. Because see, so many of you will stand behind a goddamn leader or a teacher and uh, like these politicians and everybody else. Al Shopton's a Jesse Jackson because you love them. You care, you, you, you personality worshipers. So no matter what they would do, you will stand behind them instead of standing for truth. Malcolm was not a brother who would stand, stand with a leader of unrighteousness and stand behind unrighteousness. So yes, great freedom brother, freedom fighter, like the one who preceded that brother in the nation of Islam, Dr. Khaled Abdul Muhammad. May the peace and blessings be upon that brother's soul. But I just want to come in and throw that out there today. So, you know, like I said, it would have been today again, Brother Malcolm X, Brother Omar Wally's birthday. So, you know, hey, that's brother who woke me up. And I told y'all I used to be, you had to try to imitate and mimic Brother Malcolm. I thought I was a little young red, not red, but uh, excuse me, y'all, excuse me. I thought I was a young Malcolm. I bought the glasses and everything. When I came and started studying uh, uh, Islam, Hell, I bought the glasses and everything. I, I'm telling you, bro. I tried to even t emulate the way that brother talk and all of that stuff. So, yes. So, we do. A lot of us, we don't praise Malcolm. We praise his work and we praise his courage that he had to stand for truth no matter who it was. And, yes, the brother lost his life because he stood for truth. He didn't stand just behind no fucking teacher. Excuse me, y'all. He didn't stand just behind a teacher because he, he so-called was his teacher. But when the teacher was teaching, when standing on righteous itself, doing things other. See, he, he questioned his morality. Huh? With so many of us, our people today don't seem to have morality. But when you teach your brother, he's supposed to have morals, and then you don't see it in, in that person yourself. Don't tell me I got to stand with you. Don't teach me about morals. And then when I see you ain't living up to the standard yourself, don't think I'm going to stand with you. So peace, family. I'm just going to come in here today. We're going to get into this right here. Some historical speeches by a great brother. So many people admired him. So many people was inspired by this brother. We know him as Brother Malcolm X. Peace. Some of the following speeches and actualities by Malcolm X were not shot or stored under the best of circumstances over the years. Almost all scenes are black and white. Some are not up to current standards of video or audio quality, but were too important to omit. We never initiate any violence upon anyone, but if anyone attacks us, we reserve the right to defend ourselves. We're nonviolent with people who are nonviolent with us, but we are not nonviolent with anyone who is violent with us. Don't blame a cracker in Georgia for your injustices. The government is responsible for the injustices. The government can bring these injustices to heart. When you're in your own nation, in your own land, you're in a position to get justice. But when you're in another man's country, in another man's land, under another man's flag, and under another man's uh, 
uh, uh, government and under another man's court system. You have to look to that other man for justice and you'll never get it. The whites have to be re-educated uh, so that the racism that they have in their heart can be eliminated and, the, and our people have to be re-educated uh, so that we will know how to do something for ourselves instead of waiting for others to do it for us all the time. Being born here in America doesn't make you an American. Why, if birth made you American, you wouldn't need any legislation. You wouldn't need any amendments to the Constitution. You wouldn't be faced with civil rights filibustering in Washington, D.C. right now. They don't have to pass civil rights legislation to make a Polak an American. No, I'm not an American. I'm one of the 22 million black people who are the victims of Americanism. One of the 22 million black people who are the victims of democracy. Nothing but disguised hypocrisy. So I'm not standing here speaking to you as an American or a patriot or, or a flag saluter or a flag waver. No, not I. I'm speaking as a victim of this American system. And I see America through the eyes of a victim. I don't see any American dream. I see an American nightmare. What is your real name? Malcolm. Malcolm X. Uh, is that your legal name? As far as I'm concerned, it's my legal name. Would you mind telling me what your father's last name was? My father didn't know his last name. My father got his last name from his grandfather, and his grandfather got it from his grandfather, who got it from the slave master. The real names of our people were destroyed well, during slavery. Any, was... We believe this is the time in history for the separation of the so-called Negroes and the so-called white Americans. We believe the black man should be free in name as well as in fact. By this we mean that we should be freed from the names imposed upon us by our former slave master. Murphy is not your name. Jackson is not your name. Smith is not your name. Bunch is not your name. Powell is not your name. That's the white man's name. Those names go with blue-eyed people. Those names go with blonde-haired people. Those names are not for black people. Your names come from the East. You came from the East. You should have some good names, some holy names. Some names that don't connect you with the white man, but names that connect you with God. Not names that connect you with the devil, but names that connect you with God. Like Hassan, Shari, Rahman, Rahim, Hussan, Lamumba, Kenyatta, and Kruma, Nieri. Good names. Those names give you honor. When you walk around here saying your name is Murphy and Johnson and Jackson and that kind of crap, why you don't do nothing but honor the white man. You let the world know who owns your grandfather. When you say it's Smith, that means some old white man named Smith owns your grandfather. And that's where you got your name. Names which identified him as being the slave master's slave. We believe that if we are free indeed, we should go in our own people's names, the black people of the earth. 
The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that the black man is the original man and has the independent ability to produce a brown man, red man, yellow man, or white man, which uh, the very fact that he can produce all of the others and none of them can produce him uh, makes him a man far superior with far more potential than the other men. And Mr. Muhammad says that uh, in the end, uh, the same black man who ruled in the beginning will rule in the end. Black man, by nature, is divine. Now, does this mean that the white man, by nature, is evil? By nature, he is other than divine. Well, now, does this mean that he's evil? Can he do good? By nature, he is evil. Our desire, our prayer, that we can have a peaceful, intelligent rally here this afternoon. But at the same time, we see that they have surrounded us with many of their own agents in uniform and out of uniform who have spent much time here in Harlem posing as peace officers and at the same time breaking up the peace of black people. So we hope that they will be peaceful and we will be peaceful. We are here to tell you to love the white man. You have come to the wrong place. And those of you who think that you perhaps came here to hear us tell you to turn the other cheek to the brutality of the white man, I say again, you came to the wrong place. But no matter what happens, we don't teach you to turn the other cheek. We don't teach you to turn the other cheek in the south, and we don't teach you to turn the other cheek in the north. We teach you to obey the law. We teach you to carry yourselves in, in a respectable way. But at the same time, we teach you that anyone who puts his hand on you, do your best to see that he doesn't put it on anybody else. You don't have any dope for airplanes bringing drugs into this country. The white man brings it in. The white man brings it to Harlem. The white man makes you a drug addict. The white man then puts you in jail when he catches you using drugs. Who is it that controls the prostitution in Harlem? It's the white man. Who controls the large nut sale of whiskey and wine? It's the white man. You don't have any distillery. You don't own Shenley's. You don't own uh, Old Overholt or Seagram. You don't put the seal on that bottle of whiskey. It's the white man. Who gives you the deck of cards and the dice that you use to gamble with? It's the white man. And after he sell them to you, he catch you with them and put you in jail for using them. We're trapped in a vicious cycle of poverty, of ignorance, of apathy, of disease, and of death. And they have these old Uncle Tom Negro leaders coming to Harlem telling you and me that times are getting better. Your times will never get better until you make them better. We are not the same thing that goes on right here in Harlem. They will, they will let a prostitute buy as long as she come back to them later on. They encourage her to be a prostitute. 
They take bribes from her for being a prostitute. And they'll take it in cash or they'll take it in trade. Well, we're here to tell them it has to come to a stop. Anytime you find any white man taking advantage of your woman, disrespecting her, you're within your right to do the same thing to him that he's been doing to you. You can't take a white woman in a white neighborhood. You can't grab a white woman in a white neighborhood. You can't even walk through a white neighborhood with a white woman. Why, what do you look like letting this blue-eyed thing walk around here with our women? Comes to biting the enemy of, of America, you'll bite just like that. Whether he tell you to bite in Korea or bite in Berlin or bite in the South Pacific. Soon as he says stick him, you'll bite anybody he point the finger at. But right here in this country, right in this country, under your nose, with two-legged white dogs, sticking four-legged dogs on your and my mother, you and I don't know how to fight. Sticking dogs on your and my sister, and you and I don't know how to fight. Sticking dogs on our children and dogs on our babies, and you don't know how to fight. You can't fight nor bark until the white man say bark or bite. In the South, you are segregated by that dog. In the North, you integrated with this dog. And it's no different. Hope you're not getting too wet. The dog is their closest relative. They got the same kind of hair, the same kind of skin, and the same kind of smell. Oh, yeah. When the Honorable Elijah Muhammad finishes opening your and my eyes and making it possible for us to see this white man like he really is, he don't have to worry about us integrating with him. We don't want to be around that old pale thing. We don't want to be around that old pale thing. We don't want to integrate with that old pale thing. We don't want to sleep next to that old pale thing. So we can do without it. You find that old pale thing, lean out in the sun, trying to get to look like you. Thing. You find him using man pain, trying to look like you. That old pale thing, that old sickly looking thing. And today we see him like he is. There was a time when we used to drool in the mouth over white people. We thought they were pretty because we were blind. We were dumb. We couldn't see them as they are. But since the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has come and taught us the religion of Islam, which has cleaned us up and made us so we can see for ourselves, now we can see that old pale thing to look exactly as he looked. Nothing but an old pale thing. You know, they call this hate this is not hate teaching. This is love teaching. Right. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you what I'm telling you. That's right. I wouldn't stick my neck up. I wouldn't take the chance. Yeah. 
Well, don't you know that old blue-eyed thing stands around here just waiting for me to say something that he can put me in jail? I make sure that everything I say is the truth, the gospel truth. And once I know it's the truth, I'm going to tell it if it costs me my life. So this isn't hate teaching. This is love teaching. This is love talk. We love you, but we don't love him. We, have, we want to unite with you, but we don't want to unite with him. We recognize you as our brother, but we don't recognize that old blue-eyed thing as our brother. Let him go on and be a brother to himself. We are a violent group. We do, uh, we are taught by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to be, to obey the law, to respect everyone who respects us. We're taught to display courtesy, to be polite. But we're also taught that at any time, anyone in any way uh, inflicts or seeks to inflict violence upon us, we are within our religious rights to retaliate in self-defense to the maximum degree of our ability. The charge of violence against us actually stems from the guilt complex that exists in the conscious and subconscious minds of most white people in this country. They know that they've been violent in their brutality against Negroes, and they feel that Someday, the Negro is going to wake up and try and do unto them as they have done unto, do unto the whites as the whites have done unto us. The Muslims who have accepted the religion of Islam and follow the religious guidance of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad have never bombed any churches, have never murdered any little girls, as was done in Birmingham, have never lynched anybody, have never at any time been guilty of initiating any aggressive acts of violence during the entire uh, 33 years or more that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has been teaching us. We never initiate any violence upon anyone, but if anyone attacks us, we reserve the right to defend ourselves. So to accuse us of, of being violent is like accusing a man who is being lynched, who is being hung on a tree, uh, simply because he struggles vigorously against his lyncher. The victim is accused of violence, but the lyncher is never accused of violence. And I only point this out because the various racist groups that are set up in this country by whites, and who have actually practiced violence against blacks for 400 years are never associated or identified or made synonymous with the term violence. But whites speak of Muslims almost synonymously with violence. Whenever Muslims are mentioned by them, violence is brought up. But, not, but it's not connected with any other group. This is a sort of a propaganda tactic, or what I would call psychological warfare to uh, in some way make uh, the image of the Muslims in this country be a violent image rather than a religious image. I think you'll find, sir, that there will come a time when black people wake up and become intellectually independent enough to think for themselves, as other humans are intellectually independent enough to think for themselves, 
then the black man will think like a black man and he will feel for other black people and this new thinking and feeling will cause black people to stick together and then at that point you'll have a situation where when you attack one black man you are attacking all black men and this type of black thinking will cause all black people to stick together and this type of thinking also will bring an end to the brutality inflicted upon black people by white people and it is the only thing that will bring an end to it no federal court state court or city court will bring an end to it it's something that the black man has to bring an end to himself you say then that the United States is not the black man's country. Definitely American not. laws no, are no. not black men's laws. No. Sir, I, American laws are not the black man's laws. Well, the, the uh, laws here in America were made white by white people for the benefit of white people. The Constitution was written by whites for the benefit of whites. It was never written for the benefit of blacks. And, and when you read the Constitution, I think in Article 1, se Section Article 1, Section 2, or Section 1, Article 1, some one of the two, and it's in the Constitution. It says that uh, it classifies black people as three-fifths of a man. Three-fifths of a man, subhuman, less than a human being. It relegates us to the level of cattle, hogs, chickens, cows, a commodity that could be bought and sold at the will of the master. No, it was written by whites for the benefit of whites and to the detriment of blacks. And when a black man stands up talking about his constitutional rights, he's out of his mind. If uh, the white people really passed meaningful laws, it would not be necessary to pass any more laws. There are already enough laws on the law books to protect an American citizen. You only need uh, additional laws when you're dealing with someone who is not regarded as an American citizen. But whites are so hypocritical. They don't want to admit that this black man is not a citizen. Uh, so they classify him as a, a second-class citizen to, uh, to get around uh, making him a real citizen. If he was a real citizen, you'd need no more laws. You'd need no civil rights legislation. Uh, civil rights, uh, when you have civil rights, you have citizenship. It's automatic. White people don't need laws to protect their citizenship because they're citizens. But they, want, they, uh, they don't want to tell us we're not citizens. And at the same time, they don't want to pass laws that are meaningful enough to protect us as if we were citizens. And the Supreme Court desegregation decision is the best example I know. That's a law from the Supreme Court. Ten years have gone by. No, no desegregated schools. It hasn't been implemented beyond, I think, 9% in 10 years. So this just shows you the hypocrisy of the American white man. They talk out of both sides of their mouth. And uh, for this reason, we who are Muslims, that is, who believe in the religion of Islam, who believe in God, we don't believe that black people will ever get any laws, get any problem with laws being passed or uh, new persons being put in office, uh, white liberals being put in office. There is nothing that the white man will ever do to bring about uh, true, sincere uh, citizenship or civil rights recognition for black people in this country. Nothing will they ever do. They will always talk it, but they won't practice it. And uh, with the Supreme Court, if the NAACP can tell me that they want a desegregation decision for me uh, 10 years ago, but yet the schools haven't been desegregated, as I say, this is a victory with no victory. 
uh, it's a victory that you can talk about, but it's a victory you can't show me. So if you represent the NAACP and you are telling me about this great victory you won for me, when I look at you, I have to uh, conclude that either you have been duped yourself or else you are trying to dupe me. And in most instance, instances where the civil rights struggle is involved, there is no civil rights leader can point to me one concrete gain, practical gain, that black people have made in the civil rights field in this country, not only during the past 10 years, but during the past 100 years. Leaders themselves never intended and never do intend for our people to go too far. Their primary purpose in our midst has always been to contain our struggle, not lead our struggle. For eight weeks, eight weeks in Los Angeles, 15 so-called, 14 so-called Negroes set on trial, charged by the police with police, with uh, assault, charged by the police with intent to commit murder. You haven't read anything about it in the paper. You haven't seen anything about it and heard anything about it from these blue-eyed white so-called liberals. They quieted it down. They hushed it up. And none of the Negro leaders opened up their mouths during the trial. They were silent while they had a rally of 35,000 Negroes. I'd like at this time to call forth these brothers who are under, uh, who were arrested. The brothers who were arrested, come up here behind these chairs, please. The officer made one stay at the rear of the car and the other go to the front of the car. And while he was taking the one to the front of the car, the polite attitude, the humble air, the submissive, intelligent, peaceful spirit that he unexpectedly found in this Negro infuriated him. And he began to, he, he told the brother, put down your hands. Brother was talking, he's not a criminal. A man has a right on the sidewalk to talk with his hands. Put down your hand, don't talk with your hands. And when the brother continued to gesture with his hands, the officer grabbed his hand, twisted it around, ground behind his back, flung him up against the car, and then that's when hell broke loose. That was when hell broke loose. A struggle ensued, shots were fired by the police and by a Negro door shaker. An alarm went out when the alarm went out instead of the police going to the place where the incident occurred the police went one block away to the temple when they arrived there they got out of their cars with their guns smoking you would have thought it was Wyatt, what is his name? Wyatt I'm telling you, they came out of those cars and we have enough witnesses to hang them with their guns smoking. Chief Parker knows this, Mayor Yardy knows this, and every police official in the city knows that. They didn't fire no warning shots in the air. 
They fired warning shots point blank at innocent, unarmed, defenseless Negroes. One of them who was being taken to jail in a police car. As the ambulance sirens were coming to the place, one of the policemen said to the other, what are the ambulances rushing for? Nothing but some niggas. So he looked in and saw the Muslim brother sitting beside him and he said, and he shut up. But after he got to the jail, the same officer that said this turned to the brother and said, I hope that you didn't get offended by what I said back there under the heat of emotion because some of my best friends are colored. <laughs> this is what he said. That's his password. Some of my best friends are colored. Brother Arthur here was shot one quarter of an inch from his heart. Let me tell you something, and I'll tell you why you say we hate white people. We don't hate anybody. We love our own people so much, they think we hate the ones who are inflicting injustice against them. <laughs> so the only way we're going to get some of this oppression and exploitation uh, away from us or aside from us is come together against the common enemy. The controlled press, the white press, inflames the white public against Negroes. It, the police are able to use it to paint the Negro community as a criminal element. The police are able to use the press to make the white public think that 90% or 99% of the Negroes in the Negro community are criminals. And once the white public is convinced that most of the Negro community is a criminal element, then this automatically paves the way for the police to move into the Negro community exercising Gestapo tactics, stopping any black man who is in the, on, on the sidewalk, whether he is guilty or whether he is innocent, whether he is well-dressed or whether he is poorly dressed, whether he is educated or whether he is dumb, whether he's a Christian or whether he's a Muslim, as long as he is black and a member of the Negro community, the white public thinks that the white policeman is justified in going in there and trampling on that man's civil rights and on that man's human rights. When Mayor Yardy called for a government investigation of a religious group that has the highest moral standard of any group in the Negro community, Mayor Yardy was giving you an example of what Hitler did in Nazi Germany when he began to go on the rampage. Let us remember that we are not brutalized because we're Baptists. We're not brutalized because we're Methodists. We're not brutalized because we're Muslims. We're not brutalized because we're Catholics. We're brutalized because we are black people in America. When someone comes at you with a club, when someone comes at you with a rope, when someone comes at you with a gun, despite the fact that you've done nothing, he tells you, suffer peacefully. Pray for those who use you despitefully. Be long-suffering 
And how long can you suffer after suffering for 400 years? We are peaceful people. We are loving people. We love everybody who loves us. But we don't love anybody who doesn't love us. We're nonviolent with people who are nonviolent with us. But we are not nonviolent with anyone who is violent with us. We recognize and respect American citizens as independent people, and we respect their laws which govern the nation. And if it's true, we don't love any white man, but we respect his law, we obey his law, you won't find us pretending to love them. They're not worthy of our love, but we respect their law. We respect their flag. We respect their government. We don't believe in it, but we respect it. We respect authority. We respect those who have positions of authority. But that doesn't mean we have to love those people, or like those people, or trust those people. They are not worthy of our trust, and they are not worthy of our love, and they won't get our love. Malcolm, for more controversial remarks was uh, a call for black people to get rifles and form rifle clubs sometime back. Do you still favor that for self-defense? I, I don't see why that should be controversial. I think that if white people found themselves the victim of the same kind of brutality that black people in this country face, and they saw that the government was either unwilling or unable to protect them, that the intelligence on the part of the whites would make them get some rifles and shotguns and protect themselves. Now, Negroes are developing some kind of intellectual maturity, too. And they can see that by having waited upon the government to protect them has been a, a wait that has been uh, in vain. So. Uh, any of them who live in areas where the government is not able to do its job, then we do have to get together and do a job of protecting ourselves. We want every black man and woman to have freedom, the freedom to accept or reject being separated from the slave master's children and establish a land of our own. And that's what he says. Give all of us freedom of choice. First, give every one of the 20 million black people in this country an opportunity to hear the truth. Let them be taught the truth about the white man and the truth about the black man. Let them be taught the truth about God and the truth about the devil. Let them be taught the truth about heaven and the truth about hell. And once they know the truth, then give them a chance to make a decision. But don't take this poor, dumb, deaf and blind, ignorant, brainwashed, so-called Negro and ask him what he wants. He doesn't know what he wants. And because he doesn't know what he wants, he tries to integrate with a blue-eyed wolf. Don't you know anytime you see some sheep, trying to integrate with wolves, those sheep are sick. Those sheep are out of their mind. And a sheep got more chance with a wolf than you got integrated with a white man. Why a wolf can't be as hot on a sheep as the white man has been on you here in America. Uh, I'd like to ask a question in that regard. What's interesting is that uh, members of the Nation of Islam have not used violence even when uh, black Americans were attacked. Uh, how do you account for this? D does this in any way contradict uh, some of the basic premises of your movement? I don't know how you mean. Well, you maintain, for example, that, that you will not or that you should not use violence unless you are attacked by the white man. And I think we can note in the last several years, certainly, dozens and dozens and dozens of instances in which Negroes have been uh, attacked, uh, killed in some instances. You mean in these demonstrations? These demonstrations and, and the bombings, for example, recently in Birmingham where they killed four little Negro girls. And what interests me is the fact is, is that the Nation of Islam has not 
done anything to retaliate. I think you should be happy. No, no, the important thing is, does your lack of action no, contradict any no, of your basic principles? I'll explain it. You should be happy that Muslims who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, number one, don't believe in any form of integration and, who be and, and believe that every mention of the word integration by whites, whether it be from the mouth of Kennedy on down to the mouth of the lowest, raggediest white liberal in the street who is beatnik-like involving himself in these integration efforts, if we believed in it, we would integrate and we would fight anybody who got in our way or made any effort whatsoever to stop us from integrating. Mm -hmm. If we really believe that the law of the land, the Supreme Court, and other so-called judicial bodies were for real uh, when they talked about integration, we would integrate. And knowing that the law was on our side, and any effort we made to demonstrate toward integration, why we would know the law should be on our side, uh, if it's the law of the land. If it is the law of the land, then the demonstrators are within the law. And the uh, uh, discriminators are against the law. Mm -hmm. But to show you the hypocrisy of the law, when Negroes demonstrate for integration, instead of uh, arresting the discriminators, the law arrests the demonstrators. So this is a foolish move on the part of Negroes. Mm -hmm. And when you foolishly get yourself involved with a, uh, an enemy, then whatever comes upon you, that's your business. As Muslims, we believe that separation is the best way and the only sensible way, not integration. And on, but on the other hand, when we see our people being brutalized by white bigots, white racists, uh, we think that they are foolish to allow themselves to be beaten and brutalized and do nothing whatsoever to protect themselves. They are foolish. They, they should have the right to, de to defend themselves against any attack made against them by anyone. If a dog is biting a black man, the black man should kill the dog. Whether the, do the dog is a police dog, a hound dog, or any kind of dog. If a dog is sick on a black man, when that black man is doing nothing but trying to uh, take advantage of what the government says is supposed to be his, then that black man should kill that dog or any two-legged dog who sticks the dog on him. I have no argument with Dr. Martin Luther King. He's doing the best he knows how. But what, he, what he's doing is out of style. It's, it's out of date. And anybody who teaches Negroes today to turn the other cheek is, is actually uh, committing a crime. When a criminal starts misusing me, I am going to use whatever necessary to get that criminal off my back. And the injustice that has been inflicted upon Negroes in this country by Uncle Sam is criminal. Don't blame a cracker in Georgia for your injustices. The government is responsible for the injustices. The government can bring these injustices to heart. I'm one of 22 million black people in this country who is absolutely impatient and disenchanted and fed up when I have to look at the television every night and see police dogs biting our people or see policemen clubbing our people, or see our women and our children being washed down the sewer with fire hoses, simply because they want to exercise their rights in a society which says that they are citizens. We want an immediate end to the police brutality and mob attacks against the so-called Negroes throughout the United States. We believe that the federal government should intercede 
to see that black men and women tried in white courts receive justice in accordance with the law of the land or allow us to build a new nation for ourselves dedicated to justice, freedom, and, and liberty. We do not believe that after 400 years of free labor, sweat, and blood, which has helped America become rich and powerful, that so many thousands of black people should have to exist on relief, charity, or live in poor houses. We want the government of the United States to exempt our people from all taxation. As long as our people, as long as we are deprived of equal justice under the laws of the land. And this is a fact. Why should you be taxed when you don't get anything in return? How can you be charged the same tax as the white man when you don't enjoy the same rights as the white man? Or the same citizenship as the white man? Or the same protection by the law as the white man? What do you look like riding in the coach on the train, second class, and paying full Pullman fare? Why, the conductor is out of his mind to make you pay as much as in the coach as they're paying in the college, power car. So if you don't pay second, uh, first class passage for, uh, for a second class seat, you have no business in a government as a second class citizen paying first class taxes. And when Mr. Muhammad says separate from the white man, you, teach, you tell the public that he's teaching hate. Now Martin Luther King says love the white man and integrate with him, and the white man six dogs on Martin Luther King. So what you find out here is the hypocrisy of the white. If you, if you draw away from him, he'll accuse you of hate. And if you jump up to him, he'll accuse you of uh, trying to get close to him too soon. And he puts his dogs on you. If the black man lays on his side, he's wrong. If the black man lays on his back, he's wrong. If the black man stands up, he's wrong. So the only thing in face of all that the black man can do is get away from the white man. You have to read the history of slavery to understand this. There were two kinds of Negroes. There was that old house Negro and the field Negro. Hold the light higher. And the house Negro always looked out for his master. When the field Negroes got too much out of line, he held them back in check. He put them back on the plantation. During slavery, when black people like me talked to the slaves, they didn't kill them. They sent some old house Negro along behind him to undo what he said. The house Negro could afford to do that because he lived better than the field Negro. He ate better, he dressed better. And he lived in a better house. He lived right up next to his master in the attic or the basement. He ate the same food his master ate and wore his same clothes. And he could talk just like his master. Good diction. And he loved his master more than his master loved himself. That's why he didn't want his master hurt. If the master got sick, he'd say, what's the matter, boss? We sick? He was <laughs> Try and put the fire out. He didn't want his master's house burned. He never wanted his master's property threatened. And he was more defensive of it than the master was. That was the house Negro. But then you had some field Negroes who lived in huts, had nothing to lose. They wore the worst kind of clothes. They ate the worst food. And they caught hell. They felt the sting of the lash. They hated their master. Oh, yes, they did. If the master got sick, they prayed that the master died. <laughs> if the master's house caught fire, they prayed for a strong wind to come along. <laughs> this was the difference between the two. And today you still have house Negroes and field Negroes. <laughs> I'm a field Negro. If I can't live in the house as a human being, 
I'm praying for a wind to come along. If the master won't treat me right and he's sick, I'll tell the doctor to go in the other direction. But if all of us are going to live as human beings, as brothers, then I'm for a society of human beings that can practice brotherhood. The offer of integration is hypocritical and is made by those who are trying to deceive the black people into believing that their 400-year-old open enemy of freedom, justice, and equality all of a sudden are their friends. Furthermore, we believe that such deception is intended to prevent black people from realizing that the time in history has arrived for the separation from the white people of this nation. Mr. Muhammad states, up you mighty race, you can accomplish what you will. Build your future on these foundations, freedom, justice, and equality. What is the definition of freedom, justice, and equality for the black man, and where and when is it to be attained? Well, take equality first. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad doesn't teach us to uh, associate equality with whites. Equality has nothing to do with whites. We, want e we don't want to be equal with the white man. He's not the criteria or yardstick by which equality is measured. He's not in a position to tell us we are equal. It's not his right. It's not his to do. Equality, we want equality we had equality before the white man was created. We had, the, we had equality before the white man came into existence. And we want equality whether the white man is on this earth or not. Equality means the uh, opportunity to develop all of our dormant potential, all, all of our dormant capability. And, and, and uh, in developing this dormant uh, capability, the right and the ability to stand on this earth on some land uh, of our own and bring about a civilization and a society in, we will, in which we will be completely independent, complete freedom to uh, uh, take care of the needs, to take care of the uh, wants and the likes and the dislikes of our people, to establish our own nation, our own society, our own heaven, our own future. This is what we mean by freedom, by uh, equality, and justice means uh, as you sow, so shall you reap. If you do wrong, you'll get wrong in return. And if you do right, you'll get right in return. When you're in your own nation, in your own land, you're in a position to get justice. But when you're in another man's country, in another man's land, under another man's flag, and under another man's uh, 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 government, and under another man's court system, you have to look to that other man for justice, and you'll never get it. And Negroes in this country probably are authorities on that. Let me, let me return uh, to the Nation of Islam per se, Minister, by raising a question which uh, struck me as a result of reading some of Baldwin's work, namely The Fire Next Time. Baldwin pointed out that in Harlem for many years he had passed the street corners and the soapboxes and heard people speaking from these platforms who were known as black nationalists, and nobody was listening. And he said all of a sudden he realized that people were beginning to listen to the Muslim speakers on the street corners in Harlem. The message essentially was the same, but it was that now many, many people were listening to what this message was. And you pointed out that uh, 
the Nation of Islam has been in the uh, picture for about 33 years. What is it, in your judgment, that has caused this tremendous amount of support that the Nation of Islam has garnered in the Negro community in, say, the last 10 years? When you put a seed in the soil, it remains beneath the soil until the season changes. And atmospheric conditions bring about a seasonal change that makes that seed come up or crop grow uh, in its appointed time. And all over this world today, God himself has brought about political uh, changes, a political atmosphere, sociological, social atmosphere, uh, economic atmosphere. These economic conditions, these political conditions and social conditions uh, combine to bring about a situation that is making black people in America more receptive, their mind more fertile to the seed of truth that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad has been planting for 30-some years. And this is springing up today and causing our people to see and understand now what they couldn't see and understand before. What is the nature of this situation which is making black people more receptive? The, well, you take uh, the, in the past, say, 15 years, how uh, the nations have emerged, dark nations have emerged in, in Africa. Uh, prior to 10 years ago, most Negroes associated or identified Africa with a savage, jungle-like place. And whenever you mentioned the word African, in their mind's eye, they could see the image of a, someone running around with a spear, uh, with no language, who'd say, Agabugaboo, or Buana, or something, and uh, who'd be in a jungle running from lions, or chasing lions. But then, when, uh, after the war, when the United Nations was set up in New York City, uh, black people began to look at uh, uh, men like Tom Mboya. They began to look at men like uh, Nkrumah. They began to see men like Lumumba. They began to see men like Nasser. They began to see uh, these uh, Belawa and Azikwe who could uh, exchange intellectually with whites on an international level in a political form and hold their own. This made the black people in this country realize that what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had been teaching all the time actually had substance. And they began to turn it over in their mind and see that what he was saying had more to it than what these other Negroes were saying. And they began to identify themselves with the black world and the black struggle more uh, closely than they identified themselves with this so-called white world. The black Muslim movement attracted the most militant young black people in this country. The most restless, the most impatient, and the most uncompromising black men and women were attracted to the black Muslim movement. But the movement itself, as it began to grow, actually was maneuvered into a, a vacuum. The government in Washington, I guess that's where it is, tried to label the black Muslim movement uh, as political. It used the press, it maneuvered the press to project the black Muslim movement in an image that would enable the government itself to, uh, to list it as political and therefore label it seditious and subversive and step in and stomp it out like it stomps out most bona fide freedom movements that appear in this country. It became a political hybrid in that it was more political than religious, but at the same time it didn't take part in politics. It didn't take part in the civil rights struggle. 
It took part in nothing that black people in this country was doing to correct conditions that existed in our community other than it had a moral force that it, it stopped our people from getting drunk and taking drugs and things of that sort, which is not enough. After you sober up, you're still poor. The main objective of the movement was land. But the, those in the movement were told that God would come and take them to that land. Well, for a time this was all right, but it's no visible means were ever detected by anyone in the movement that would enable us to see that a plan was afoot to make this objective materialize. It caused dissatisfaction. It caused dissension, which eventually developed division. We realized that we were black people in a white society, that we were black people in a racist society. We were black people in a society whose very political system was based and nourished upon racism, whose social system was a racist system, whose economic system was nourished with racism. We were black people who wanted to be religious, who wanted to practice brotherhood and all of that, who wanted to love everybody and all of that too. But at the same time, that was a dream, you know, as my good friend, the doctor, said. And brothers, I have a dream today. <laughs> so wanting brotherhood and wanting peace and wanting all these other beautiful things, we had to also face reality and realize that we were in a racist society that was controlled by racists from the federal government right on down to the local government, from the White House right on down to City Hall. Racism was what we were confronted by. So we knew that this was a problem that was beyond religion, and we formed another organization that was non-religious. And this organization was called the Organization of Afro-American Unity, or the OAAU. And we, we, we got the idea for it from travels and observations of the success that our brothers on the African continent were having in their struggle for freedom. It has been a well-known fact, uh, though only in the form of rumor, that uh, there has been a great deal of uh, apprehension at my being out of the black Muslim movement on the part of the black Muslims themselves. And I had uh, stated in a newspaper article about an effort to take my life back in January, and at that time the Muslims denied it. In fact, they tried to make it appear to my brother that I was insane. But on a program in Chicago called Hotline, this moder moderated by Wesley South, John Ali, the national secretary, admitted, uh, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, one of these days last week, that they absolutely were going to kill me. Why are they threatening your life? Well, uh, Primarily because they're afraid that I will tell the real reason that they've been that I'm out of the black Muslim movement, which I never told. I kept to myself. But the real real reason is that Elijah Muhammad, the head of the movement, is the father of eight children by six different teenage girls, different uh, six different teenage girls who were his private personal secretary. Uh, four of them had one child apiece by him. Uh, two of them had two children, and one of those two is pregnant right now in Los Angeles. 
uh, where they're his thir uh, third child. And uh, the, the one who first made me aware of this was Wallace Muhammad, Mr. Muhammad's son. And it was uh, their fear that uh, if I remained in the black Muslim movement, and this came into the knowledge of his followers, that they would leave him and follow me. So uh, uh, a, a plan immediately was set in motion to uh, take me down, put me out, and uh, the statement that I allegedly made, or not that I allegedly made, I didn't make it, the statement that I made about Kennedy was used as a, a pretext to take me down. But in reality, it was, it was because I had come to New York and told Joseph, the captain in New York, and uh, the secretary and the minister in Boston about these children that Mr. Muhammad had. And it was that, that right there was the real reason for my being out of the movement. I'm a believer in the Honorable Elijah and follower of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Right. I'm still a Muslim. My religion is Islam. Right. I run into some obstacles in the nation of Islam, and I feel that I can best serve the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's purpose and program and carry into uh, existence what I feel, I understand, concerning his objective better on the outside than I can on the inside. And, and now that I have the independence of action, it's my intention to work with everybody or against everybody, whatever the case may be, to try and get some kind of immediate solution to the problems that are confronting our people. I still believe the best thing for us to do is go back home to Africa. But while we're getting ready to go back, we've got to eat now, we've got to sleep now, we have to have some clothes now, our children have to go to school and we need some place to work. So whatever kind of action program can be devised to get us the things that are ours by right, then I'm for that kind of action no matter what the action is. Today I'm speaking for myself. Formerly I spoke for Elijah Muhammad. And everything I said was, Elijah Muhammad teaches us thus and so. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad is a religious man. And his teaching is religious and his solutions are religious. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us that the black man is the original man. The black man by nature is divine. Now, does this mean that the white man by nature is evil? By nature, he is other than divine. Well, now, does this mean that he's evil? Can he do good? By nature, he is evil. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad doesn't teach us to uh, associate equality with whites. Equality has nothing to do with whites. We, want e we don't want to be equal with the white man. Muslims who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, number one, don't believe in any form of integration. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that the hour or the time is running out right now. And the uh, America is facing judgment just like Egypt was judged for enslaving the Hebrews and Babylon was judged for enslaving the Hebrews. And because they refused to let the Hebrews go along with Moses, God destroyed them. This was the judgment day in their day. Today, America is faced with the same thing. If she doesn't let us go with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad out of this country, then America will be destroyed just as uh, surely as Egypt was destroyed and Babylon was destroyed. I'm speaking now from what I think, from what I have seen, from what I have analyzed and, and the conclusions that I have reached. But if I judge a man by his conscious behavior, I am not a racist. I don't subscribe to any of the tenets of racism. Then there are good whites and good blacks and bad whites and blacks. It's not a case of being good and bad, good or bad blacks and whites. It's a case of being good or bad human beings. I think you'll find that if, if uh, Negroes ever have to resort to any kind of physical action to defend themselves, many white people will be on the side of Negroes. Many white people are fed up with, the, with what the Negroes suffer. 
And this is what I had to become aware of on my pilgrimage to Mecca. I could see then that there are many white people in this country who will side with the Negro in whatever he has to do to protect himself. When I was in on the pilgrimage, I had close contact with Muslims whose skin would in America be classified as white and with Muslims who would themselves would be classified as white in America. But these particular Muslims didn't call themselves white. They looked upon themselves as human beings, as part of the human family, and therefore they looked upon all other segments of the human family as part of that same family. Well, now, uh, they had a different look or a different air or a different attitude than that which is uh, reflected in the uh, attitude of the man in America who calls himself white. So I said that if uh, Islam had done this, done that for them, perhaps if the white man in America would study Islam, perhaps they could do the same thing for him. So instead of legislation, in my opinion, it takes education. The whites have to be re-educated uh, so that the racism that they have in their heart can be eliminated and the and our people have to be re-educated uh, so that we will know how to do something for ourselves instead of waiting for others to do it for us all the time. Well, how will that re-education be brought about? Uh, well, just as uh, uh, in, the, in World War II, this country could use its uh, news media to propagandize and make, our, make the whole American public uh, love, the, love the Germans and the Japanese, rather love the Russians and the Chinese and hate the Germans and the Japanese, and then after the war, they changed it and made the American public love the, uh, the Germans and love the Japanese, hate the Russians and hate the Chinese, which shows that they can make the American public love whom they will and hate whom they will. And that same process can be used to re-educate the American public and show white people how to love black people and show black people how to do something to stand on our own feet and solve our own problems. The black man doesn't have to be taught to love the white man. The white man has to be taught to love the black man. Or at least, do you think the Civil Rights Bill, uh, when it's passed, uh, is a sign of better times for Negroes in this country? No. Uh, as I said before, the legislation won't solve our problems. New York City has all of the laws. It has FEPC. And still, there's job discrimination in this city. Uh, laws doesn't solve... That, that type of law doesn't solve the problem. Uh, and it's the same with education. It actually, it's the same, it's the same with the segregated educational system. Uh, it's, it exists here the same as it exists in the South. Now, the law here is on the side of an integrated school system, but you still don't have an integrated school system. What do you think of Senator Goldwater's stand on the Civil Rights Bill? Well, he's probably being more honest than uh, the other politicians are. He's, even though uh, his stand is the wrong stand, and, and it's uh, an unjust stand, still he's being more honest than the other white politicians are. I don't think that uh, in, in, in his heart, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson's stand is any different from Goldwater's stand. Lyndon B. Johnson is taking a stand that is for political expediency. And it's the same with all of the so-called liberal element. It's political expediency, politics. It's true, I'm a Muslim. And I believe in brotherhood. And I believe in the brotherhood of all men. But my religion doesn't make me a fool. My religion makes me be against all forms of racism. It keeps me from judging any man by the color of his skin. It teaches me to judge him by his deeds and his conscious behavior. 
and it teaches me to be the right, be for the rights of all human beings, but especially the Afro-American human beings. Because my religion is a natural religion, and the first law of nature is self-preservation. The next thing you'll see here in America, and please don't blame it on me when you see it. <laughs> You will see the same things that have taken place among other people on this earth whose condition was parallel to that of the 22 million Afro-Americans in this country. The time is on the side of the oppressed today. It's against the oppressor. And truth is on the side of the oppressed today. It's against the oppressor. You don't need anything else. So I would just like to say this in my conclusion. You'll see terrorism that will terrify you. And if you don't think you'll see it, you are trying to blind yourself to the historic development of everything that's taking place on this earth today. You'll see other things. Why will you see them? Because as soon as people realize that it's impossible for a chicken to produce a duck egg, even though they both belong to the same family of fowl, so-called fowl. A chicken just doesn't have it within its system to produce a duck egg. It can't do it. It can only produce according to what that particular system was constructed to produce. The system of this country cannot produce freedom for an Afro-American. for this system, this economic system, this political system, this social system, this system, period. It is impossible for it, as it stands, to, to produce freedom right now for the black man in this country. It's impossible. There's a worldwide revolution going on. It goes beyond Mississippi. It goes beyond Alabama. It goes beyond Harlem. What is it revolting against? The power structure. The American power structure? No. The French power structure? No. The English power structure? No. Then what power structure? An international Western power structure. I had gotten an invitation to visit Paris from the Afro-American community in Paris, which was sponsoring a rally in conjunction with the African community. When I got to Paris, the man said I couldn't come in, some man, French man. Uh, they gave me no explanation other than to say, we have our orders. They wouldn't let me phone the American embassy, and they tried to imply that the American embassy was behind it, which I told them that I didn't know that France was a satellite of the United States. Well, this made them angry because they like to be independent, you know, or pretend to be independent. They were taking their orders from someone as high up in the French foreign ministry who did not want me to enter France. And there's a reason for it. I don't blame them. Uh, and because, uh, and I told them while I was there that maybe my plane got mixed up I, and I was in South Africa in the wrong country. Uh, I told them this couldn't be Par Paris. It must be Johannesburg. And they got red. And you know how they can get red.
there's a large increasing number of dark-skinned people uh, swelling the, pop the dark population of France and Britain, and it's, it's giving them a great deal of cause for worry. No effort has been made to unite the Afro-American community or the American Negro community with the uh, West Indian community, and then those two communities with the African community, and those communities with the Asian community. This has never been done. And this frightened many powers, many interests in this country, many people in this country who want to see us the minority and who don't want to see us taking too militant or too uncompromising a stand are absolutely against the successful uh, regrouping or organizing of any faction in this country whose thought and whose thinking pattern is international rather than national. I, for one, disassociate myself from the movement completely and I dedicate myself to the organizing of black people into a group that are interested in doing things constructive, not for just one religious segment of the community, but for the entire black community. One of the things that's going to help to bring this about is, is again, is the independence of Africa. And one of the only reasons in the, uh, that we in the West have never organized, we have hated our image and our African image. And because Africa has been in the hands of people who have created an image of Africa that's negative and hateful. And uh, it has been hateful to us. We haven't wanted to identify with it. We didn't want anybody to tell us anything about Africa, much less call us an African. Uh, and, and, uh, and in hating Africa and hating the African, we ended up even hating ourselves without even realizing it. Because you can't hate the roots of a tree and not hate the tree. You can't hate your origin and not end up hating yourself. You can't hate Africa and not hate yourself. And you show me one of these people over here who have been thoroughly brainwashed who has a negative attitude toward Africa, and I'll show you one that has a negative attitude toward himself. But now that Africa is getting independent and in a position to create its own image, and it's a positive image, uh, those of us in the West look at the African image and see how positive it is, and we begin to identify with it. We become proud of, of Africa, and we, we become proud of our African blood, our African heritage. And this is what is beginning to make the Africans in the Western Hemisphere today have developed more race pride, and as, as this race pride develops, then it has the tendency to make us want to unite together and work together, and your Western imperialists and colonialists uh, consider this to be a grave threat. When you compare our strides in 1964 with strides that have been made forward by people elsewhere all over the world, only then can you appreciate the great double-cross experienced by black people here in America in 1964. The, the, the power structure started the new year out the same way they started that out in Washington the other day. Only now they call it, what's that, the Great Society? The Great Society. Last year, just, uh, 1964, was supposed to be the year of promise. They opened up the new year in Washington, D.C., and in the city hall and in Albany, talking about the year of promise. Promise that black people would make advances in education, we'd get better schools, better school facilities, better teachers, that jobs would open up, there would be less black people in the unemployment line, that in areas of the South where we formerly had not been able to vote, we would be, we would be able to register and vote that we would become socially acceptable to those who in the past did not consider us socially acceptable. But by the end of 1964, we had to agree that in, instead of the year of promise, 
Instead of these promises materializing, they substituted devices to create the illusion of progress. And 1964 was the year of illusion and delusion. We received nothing but a promise. We received nothing that would actually solve the problems that we were confronted by in January of 1964. In 1963, they had used a trick, one of their devices, to uh, let off the steam of prostration was the march on Washington. They used that to make us think we were making progress. Imagine marching to Washington and getting nothing for it whatsoever. But it shows you how shrewd the power structure is how it is able to manipulate the people through the leaders, as long as the people believe in the leaders. In 63, it was the march on Washington. In 64, what was it? The Civil Rights Bill. Right after they passed the Civil Rights Bill, they murdered a Negro in Georgia and did nothing about it. Murdered two whites and a Negro in Mississippi and did nothing about it. So that the Civil Rights Bill has produced nothing where we're concerned. It was only a, a valve, a vent, that, will ena that would enable us, that was designed to enable us to let off our frustration. But the bill itself was not designed to solve our problem. Since we see what they did in 1963 and we saw what they did in 1964, what will they do now in 1965? If the march on Washington was supposed to lessen the explosion and the Civil Rights Bill was designed to lessen the explosion, that's all it was designed to do. It wasn't designed to solve the problem. It was designed to lessen the explosion. Because everyone in his right mind knows there should have been an explosion. You can't have all those ingredients, those explosive ingredients that exist in Harlem and elsewhere where our people suffer and not have an explosion. So these are devices to lessen the danger of the explosion, but not designed to remove the material that's going to explode. What will they give us in 1965? I just read where they plan to make a black cabinet member. Yes, they have a new gimmick every year. They're going to take one of their boys, black boys, and put him in the cabinet so he can walk around Washington with a cigar, fire on one end and fool on the other end. <laughs> and because his immediate personal problem will have been solved, he will be the one to tell our people, look how much progress we're making. I'm in Washington, D.C. I can have tea in the White House. I'm your spokesman. I'm your, you know, your leader. While our people are still living in Harlem in the slums, still receiving the worst form of education and the worst facilities in which to try and educate our children. This is the device that they will use. They'll make a black cabinet member. I read that's one of the gimmicks that they got going. But will it work? Can that one whom they are going to put down there step into the fire and put it out <laughs> when the flames begin to leap up? 
when people take to the street and their explosive moves, will that one that they're going to put in the cabinet be able to go among those people? Or they'll burn him faster than they burn the ones who sent him. They aren't really Negro leaders. These are puppets that have been put in front of the Negro community by white liberals. These are parrots that have been put in front of the Negro community by white liberals. You can't name me a Negro leader who has been a Negro leader who has been who has betrayed Negroes, who is not who has not been endorsed, sanctioned, uh, subsidized, and supported by the white liberals. These leaders that they call leaders. This included Lena Horne. This included Dick Gregory, and this included comedians, comics, trumpet players, baseball players. Show me in the white community where a comedian is a white leader. Show me in the white community where a singer is a white leader, or a dancer or a trumpet player is a white leader. These aren't leaders. These are puppets and clowns that uh, have been set up over the white community and or over the black community by the white community and have been made celebrities and usually say exactly what uh, they know that the white man wants to hear. The black people should band together and do something about electing, uh, selecting and electing uh, representatives, black representatives, politically, uh, who have the uh, rights and the, um, the best interests of the black people at heart. And that we should also unite together and sweep out of office all of the black political puppets who are used by the white power structure to continue white supremacy uh, in our communities. No Negro leaders have fought for civil rights. What do you mean they by have begged for civil rights. They have begged the white man for civil rights. They have begged the white man for freedom. And every time, anytime you beg another man to set you free, you will never be free. Freedom is something that you have to do for yourself. And until the American Negro lets the white man know that we are really, really ready and willing to pay the price that is necessary for freedom, our people will always be walking around here second-class citizens, or what you call 20th century slaves. What price are you talking about, sir? The price of freedom is death. This government has failed us. The government itself has failed us. And the white liberals who have been posing as our friends have failed us. And once we see that all these other sources to which we've turned have failed, we stop turning to them and turn to ourselves. We need a self-help program, a do-it-yourself do philosophy, a do-it-right-now philosophy. Uh, it's already too late philosophy. This is what you and I need to get with. And the only time, the only way we're going to uh, solve our problem is with a self-help program. Before we can get a self-help program started, we have to have a self-help philosophy. Black nationalism is a self-help philosophy. What's so good about it, you can stay right in the church where you are and still take black nationalism as your philosophy. You can stay in any kind of civic organization that you belong to and still take black nationalism as your philosophy. You can be an atheist and still take black nationalism as your philosophy. This is a philosophy that eliminates the necessity for division and argument. Because if you're black, you should be thinking black. And if you're black and you're not thinking black at this late date, well, I'm sorry for you. The political philosophy of black nationalism only means that the black man should control the politics and the politicians in his own community. The, the, time, the time when white people can come in our community 
and get us to vote for them so that they can be our political leaders and tell us what to do and what not to do is long gone. By the same token, the time when that same white man, knowing that your eyes are too far open, can send another Negro into the community, get you and me to support him so he can use him to lead us astray, those days are long gone. The political philosophy of black nationalism only means that if you and I are going to live in a black community, and that's where we're going to live, because as soon as you move into one of their communities, as soon as you move out of the black community into their community, it's missed for a period of time, but they're gone, and you're right there all by yourself. We must, we must understand the politics of our community, and we must know what politics is supposed to produce. We must know what part politics play in our lives. And until we become politically mature, we will always be misled, led astray, or deceived or maneuvered into uh, supporting someone politically who doesn't have the good of our community at heart. So the political philosophy of black nationalism only means that we will have to carry on a program, a political program of re-education to open our people's eyes, make us become more politically conscious, politically mature. And then we will, whenever we get ready to cast our ballot, that ballot will be, classed for, uh, will be cast for a man of the community who has the good of the community at heart. And Anyone who has a, 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 an appeal upon the majority of black people in this country would automatically have a large number of people from a low-income group. Most Negroes in America are in the lower-income class. When you live in a poor neighborhood, you're living in an area where you have to have poor schools. When you have poor schools, you have poor teachers. When you have poor teachers, you get a poor education. Poor education, you can only work on a poor-paying job. And that poor-paying job enables you to live again in a poor neighborhood. So it's a very vicious cycle. The economic philosophy of black nationalism only means that we should own and operate and control the economy of our community. You would never find, you can't open up a black store in a white community, white man won't even patronize you. And he's not wrong, he's in, he got sense enough to look out for himself, and you, you don't have sense enough to look out for yourself. to let someone else come and gain control of the economy of his community. But you will let anybody come in and control the economy of your community. Control the housing, control the education, control the jobs, control the businesses uh, under the pretext that you want to integrate. No, you're out of your mind. The political, the economic philosophy of black nationalism only means that we have to become involved in a program of re-education to educate our people into the importance of knowing that when you spend your dollar out of the community in which you live, the community uh, in which you spend your money becomes richer and richer, the community out of which you take your money becomes poorer and poorer. And because these Negroes 
who have been misled, misguided, are breaking their necks to take their money and spend it with the man. The man is becoming richer and richer, and you're becoming poorer and poorer. And then what happens? The community in which you live becomes a slum. It becomes a ghetto. The conditions become run down. And then you have the audacity to, com to complain about poor housing in a run-down community. Why, you run it down yourself when you take your dollars. And you and I are in a double track because not only do we lose by taking our money someplace else and spending it, when we try and spend it in our own community, we're trapped because we haven't had sense enough to set up stores and control the businesses of our community. The man who's controlling the stores in our community is a man who doesn't look like we do. He's a man who doesn't even live in the community. So you and I, even when we try and spend our money in the block where we live or the area where we live, we're spending it with a man who, when the sun goes down, takes that basket full of money in another part of the town. So we're trapped, trapped, double trapped, triple trapped. Anywhere we go, we find that we're trapped. And every kind of solution that someone comes up with is just another trap. But the political and economic philosophy of black nationalism, the economic philosophy of black nationalism shows our people the importance of setting up these little stores and developing them and expanding them into larger operations. Woolworth didn't start out big like they are today. They started out with a dime store and expanded and expanded and then expanded until today they're all over the country and all over the world and they're getting some of everybody's money. Now this is what you and I in General Motors, the same way didn't start out like it is. It started out just a little rat race type operation and it expanded and expanded until today it's where it is right now. And you and I have to make a start. And the best place to start is right in the community where we live. So our people not only have to be uh, re-educated to the importance of supporting black business, but the black man himself has to be uh, made aware of the importance of going into business. And once you and I go into business, we own and operate at least the businesses in our community, what we will be doing is developing a situation wherein we will actually be able to create employment for the people in the community. And once you can create some, some employment, in the community where you live, it will eliminate the necessity of you and me having to act ignorantly and disgracefully boycotting and picketing some cracker someplace else trying to dang him for a job. Anytime you have to rely upon your enemy for a job, you're in bad shape. When you have, he is your enemy, Anything. You wouldn't be in this country if some enemy hadn't kidnapped you and brought you here. Brothers and sisters, if you and I would just realize that once we learn to talk the language that they understand, they will then get the point. You can never reach a man if you don't speak his language. If a man speaks the language of brute force, you can't come to him with peace. Why, good night. He'll break you in two, as he has been doing all along. 
Uh, if a man speaks French, you can't speak to him in German. If he speaks Swahili, you can't communicate with him in Chinese. You have to find out what does this man speak. And once you know his language, you learn how to speak his language. And he'll get the point. There'll be some dialogue, some communication, and some understanding will be developed. And uh, you've been in this country long enough to know the language the Klan speaks. They only know one language. And what you and I have to start doing in 1965, I mean, that's what you have to do, because most of us already been doing it, is start learning a new language. Learn the language that they, that they, that they understand. And then when they come upon our doorstep to talk, we can talk. And they will get the point. There'll be a dialogue. There'll be some communication. And I'm quite certain they will, there will then be some understanding. Why? Because the Klan is a cowardly outfit. They have, they have uh, perfected the art of making Negroes be afraid. And as long as the Negro's afraid, the Klan is safe. But the Klan itself is coward. They, they never come, one of them never come after one of you. They all come together. Sure, and they're scared of you. And you sit there when they're putting the rope around your neck saying, forgive them, Lord, they know not what they do. As long as they've been doing it, they're experts at it. They know what they're doing. No, since the federal government has shown that it isn't going to do anything about it, but talk, then it is a duty. It's your and my duty as men, as human beings. It's, the, it's our duty to our people to organize ourselves and let the government know that if they don't stop that Klan, we'll stop it ourselves. And then you'll see the government start doing something about it. But don't ever think that they're gonna do it just on some kind of morality basis, no. So I don't believe in violence. Uh, that's why I want to stop it. <laughs> and you can't stop it with love. We only mean vigorous action in self-defense. And that vigorous action, we feel, we're justified in initiating by any means necessary. Now, the press behind something like that, they call us racists and pe uh, people of violence in reverse. This is how they psycho you. They make you think that if you try to stop the Klan from lynching you, you're practicing violence in reverse. Pick up on this. I hear a lot of you all parrot what the man says. You say, well, I don't want to be a Ku Klux Klan in reverse. Well, you should. When so, if a criminal comes to rob your house, brother, with his gun, just because he got a gun and he's robbing your house, uh, and he's a robber, it doesn't make you a robber because you grab your gun and run him out. No. See, the man is using, using some tricky logic on you. And he has absolutely got a Ku Klux Klan outfit that goes through the country frightening black people. Now, I say that it's time for black people to put together 
the type of action, the unit that is necessary to pull the sheet off of them so they won't be frightening black people any longer. That's all. But when a black man strikes back, he's an extremist. He's supposed to sit passively and have no feelings, be nonviolent, and love his enemy, no matter what kind of attack, be it verbal or otherwise, he's supposed to take it. But if he stands up and in any way tries to defend himself, <laughs> then he's an extremist. <laughs> I say it's the ballot or the bullet. It's liberty or it's death. It's freedom for everybody or freedom for nobody. America today finds herself in a unique situation. Historically, revolutions are bloody. Oh, yes, they are. They haven't never had a bloodless revolution or a nonviolent revolution. That don't happen even in Hollywood. You don't have a revolution in which you love your enemy. And you don't have a revolution in which you are begging the system of exploitation to integrate you into it. Revolutions overturn systems. Revolutions destroy systems. A revolution is bloody. But America is in a unique position. She's the only country in history in a position actually to become involved in a bloodless revolution. The, Ru the Russian revolution was bloody. Chinese revolution was bloody. French revolution was bloody. Cuban Revolution was bloody, and there was nothing more bloody than the Re American Revolution. But today, this country can become involved in a revolution that won't take bloodshed. All she's got to do is give the black man in this country everything that's doing. Everything. We declare our right on this earth to be a man, to be a human being, to be respected as a human being, to be given the rights of a human being, in this society, on this earth, in this day, which we intend to bring into existence by any means necessary. You haven't done the right thing right. by my people. Right. And because you haven't done the right thing by my people, now I got to do the right thing by you. Right. With skillful manipulating of the press, they're able to make the victim look like the criminal and the criminal looked like the victim. Right now, when in New York, uh, we had a couple cases where police grabbed the brother and beat him unmercifully. But when it comes time for you and me to protect ourselves against lynchers, they tell us to be nonviolent. tricked into being nonviolent. And when you when somebody stands up and talks like I just did, they say, well, he's advocating violence. Isn't that what they say? Every time you pick up your newspaper, you hear where one of these things has written into it that uh, uh, I'm advocating violence. And I have never advocated any violence. I've only said that black people who are the victims of organized violence, 
perpetrated upon us by uh, the Klan, the Citizens Council, uh, and many other forms, we should defend ourselves. And when I say that we should defend ourselves against the violence of others, they, they use their press skillfully to make the world think that I'm calling on violence, period. And I wouldn't call on anybody to be violent uh, without a cause. But I think the black man in this country, above and beyond people all over the world, it w will be more justified when he stands up and starts to protect himself, no matter how many necks he has to break and heads he has to crack. So today, our people are disillusioned. They've become disenchanted. They've become dissatisfied. And in their frustration, they want action. You'll see this young black man, this new generation, asking for the ballot or the bullet. That old Uncle Tom action is outdated. The young generation don't want to hear anything about the odds are against us. What do we care about odds? The, the whites were colonized. They were fed up with this taxation without representation. So some of them stood up and said, liberty or death. Though I went to a white school over here in Mason, Michigan. The white man made the mistake of letting me read his history books. <laughs> he made the mistake of teaching me that Patrick Henry was a patriot. The entire British Empire. And in those days, they used to say that the British Empire was so vast and so powerful when the sun, the sun would never set on it. This is how big it was. Yet these 13 little scrawny states, tired of taxation without representation, tired of being exploited and, and oppressed and degraded, told that big British Empire, liberty or death. And here you have 22 million Afro-American black people today catching more hell than Patrick Henry ever saw. <laughs> They're going to draft these young black men and send them over to Korea or South Vietnam to face 800 million Chinese. not afraid of those odds, you shouldn't be afraid of these odds. If, if you go to jail, so what? If you're black, you were born in jail. If you're black, you were born in jail. In the north as well as the south. Stop talking about the south. As long as you're south of the... As long as you're south of the Canadian border, you're south. I think there are many whites who act friendly toward Negroes. A fox acts, acts friendly toward the lamb. And usually the fox is the one who ends up with the lamb chop on his plate. The wolf doesn't act friendly. And therefore the wolf has more difficulty in getting the lamb chopped in his plate. I'd like to point out, though, that... And I, I, I say that because 
it is usually the, if you study the structure of the Negro community, mm -hmm. economically, politically, civically, psychologically, and otherwise, it's controlled by the white liberal, mm -hmm. who usually poses as the friend of the Negro, who actually differs from the white conservative in, in the same way that the fox differs from the wolf. Uh, their appetite is the same. Their motives are the same. It's only their mannerisms and, and methods that differ. I would agree that um, no doubt there have been a large number of, of whites who have posed as liberals and as friends of the Negro and who have time and again betrayed the Negro. Uh, on the other hand, I think one could point to a large number of whites uh, who have struggled for civil rights, Give me for equality, and have got little or nothing out of it uh, other than uh, quite a few bruises. Give me an example. Well, the, the large number of, of white uh, students who have gone into the South, for example, working for SNCC and other organizations. Not working for SNCC or other organizations, but working for uh, the white uh, political machines who benefit by the voting uh, efforts of Negroes. Okay, I'll be more specific. Uh, I would cite Herbert Hill, for example, as, an, <laughs> as, as a kind of person who has uh, championed Negro job rights, for example, uh, in New York City and elsewhere. He has fought the political machine. First time I met Herbert Hill personally was when they were picketing to stop the working on the uh, Harlem Hospital in Harlem. Negroes for 10 years had to fight the city to get uh, an annex built on the Harlem Hospital. Because in Harlem we need a hospital more so than anything else. Our people are sick. Plus we do a lot of cutting and shooting of each other, though we profess to be nonviolent. And uh, Herbert Hill brought his forces out and stopped the working on that site. Uh, this is the first time I ever saw him. Then uh, when work was brought to a halt on a hospital in Harlem, the same Negroes tried to uh, stop the work at the downstate uh, medical center in Brooklyn, which is predominantly white. They, they were out there for three months during the summer. Couldn't stop anything. And I never saw Herbert Hill out there one time. Now, whenever something, whenever it takes uh, a stoppage of something that's going to affect the white man. You find the white liberal absent. But it's when it uh, involves something that primarily will affect the best interests of black people, and black people only, then that white liberal is present. Herbert Hill is the labor secretary for the NAACP. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, if he was interested in black people, he would prepare a black man with the type of knowledge and understanding of the labor troubles involving black people that would enable uh, a black man to sit in the same position as Secretary of Labor or Labor Secretary in the NAACP. I'm suspicious of whites who join Negroes and always have to be in the lead, who always have to be the head, who always have to be at the top in Negro organizations. Those whites who really have the interest of blacks at heart, let them give some advice to some Negroes and stand on the sideline. But don't join the organization and then get at the head of it and pose as a friend of Negroes. Who taught you to hate the texture of your hair? Who taught you to hate the color of your skin to such extent that you bleach to get like the white man? Who taught you to hate the shape of your nose and the shape of your lips? Who taught you to hate yourself from the top of your head to the soles of your feet? Who taught you to hate your own kind? Who taught you to hate the race that you belong to? So much so that you don't want to be around each other. Always uh, had the name on my passport, Malik uh, El Shabazz. Only I only used it in the Muslim world. Well, Hajj is a title that is given to 
any Muslim who makes the pilgrimage to Mecca during the official Hajj season. I'll probably continue to use Malcolm X because, and I'll probably use it as long as the situation that produced it exists. <laughs> we, you don't feel you don't feel that Shabazz takes the place of X. Uh, uh, my going to Mecca and going into the Muslim world, into the African world, and being recognized and accepted as a Muslim and as a brother uh, may solve the problem for me personally. But I uh, personally feel that my personal problem is never solved as long as the problem is not solved for all of our people in this country. So I remain Malcolm X as long as there is a need to protest and struggle and fight against the injustices that our people are involved in in this country. The following words, spoken by Sarah Wellington, are a quote from the widow of Malcolm X, Ms. Betty Shabazz. He is the one person during my lifetime that I am delighted to have known. When I think in terms of leadership, I measure people by his yardstick. Some people don't make a connection between what they say and how they live. Malcolm understood himself. He felt that he had value. He loved his parents, he loved his people, and he loved me with the same passion. Malcolm helped me deal with my own internal strength. He would sometimes say, Girl, when I die, don't cry, because the salt from your tears will make you bitter. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.